your comment, your question makes me remem remember about our youth, our youth, our children that are sons and daughters from immigrants. And they are in between two cultures, the Anglo culture and the Hispanic culture. And then sometimes because of the good intention to fit in, they have to renounce to one of them. Mainly the Spanish speaking, the Spanish culture, the Spanish tradition, because they don't want to seem weird before friends in school, friends in society. So therefore, sometimes me, myself, I have to um, not forget, but put on side my roots in order to feed in the culture, to feed in the church, to feed in with friends, to feed in in the library. Because if I could be authentically myself, I could look like a rubble. Hey everyone, welcome back to season three of Reclaiming Social Justice, a podcast that seeks to read the signs of the times through the lens of Catholic social teaching and rediscover our call to work for a more loving society. My name is Danny and I'm the coordinator of social justice at St. Anthony Catholic Church in Tigard, Oregon and the host of the show. If you're a fan of the show, I hope that you subscribe wherever you like to get your podcasts. If you're a fellow St. Anthony parishioner, remember you can find this show at satiger.org forward slash reclaiming SJ. Wherever you choose to listen, you can expect new episodes on the last Wednesday of every month. You can hit me up with your comments, questions, and suggestions at reclaimingsj at gmail.com. You can also leave me your feedback by completing the short form linked at the bottom of the show notes. All right, so with that, let's look at what we got on deck for today's show. In today's episode, you will meet Alex Quesada. Alex serves as Hispanic Ministry Coordinator at St. John Paul II's Catholic Parish in Kankakee, Illinois. Alex has also been working as Relief and Development Coordinator at the Office for Human Dignity in the Diocese of Joliet since 2019. He's a happy husband, father of five children, and a lover of God's creation. As an immigrant from Mexico, Alex works to promote social justice for all following the principles of Catholic social teaching. I really enjoyed this conversation with Alex. Given our shared cultural identities, we talked a lot about the immigrant experience, but we also touch on racial justice in general and especially in the black community. We talked about the importance of names and the different ways immigrants like him have to put aside core parts of their identity just to be able to fit in this country. We also talked about a really tough question that his daughter once asked him while in high school and how she's developed into an anti-racist advocate. But before playing my interview with Alex, we're going to transition to our Building a Common Language segment. So let's take a look at today's word of the day. All right, so today's word of the day is... Anti-racism. The reason I chose this term is because our guest of the show uses it when he's talking about how his daughter developed into this anti-racism. So it's good for us to define what do we mean when we talk about anti-racism. This word became mainstream after George Floyd's murder and the subsequent racial justice movements that surfaced. 
The most straightforward and commonly used definition I could find comes from Dr. Ibram Kendi. According to Kendi, an anti-racist is someone who is expressing an anti-racist idea or supporting an anti-racist policy with their actions. In other words, anti-racism is a process of actively identifying and opposing racism in all its forms. It is rooted in direct and concrete actions to eliminate racism at the individual, institutional, and structural level. In his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, he says, quote, Like fighting an addiction, being an anti-racist requires persistent self-awareness, constant self-criticism, and regular self-examination. Kendi's key argument is that there is no such thing as being not racist or colorblind, only being actively racist or actively anti-racist. So given this definition, how might we interpret this term to the lens of our Catholic faith? To answer that question, I'm going to turn to Father Chris Kellerman, who is a, a Jesuit and a visiting fellow at the Jesuit Social Research Institute at Loyola University in New Orleans, Louisiana. And he wrote an article on the Jesuit Post called The Catholic 101 Church Teaching and the Anti-Racism Movement, which I'll link to um, the show notes of this episode. And I'm just going to read verbatim an excerpt from this article where he talks about anti-racism through the lens of our faith. He says, quote, To understand the idea of anti-racism, it is helpful to consider what we as Catholics believe about the moral life. If I want to oppose sin and evil in my life, I do not merely try not to sin. I try to grow in virtue and I try to actively oppose evil in society. Think of the problem of lying. If I frequently struggle with lying, simply saying, okay, I won't be a liar anymore, is not enough. I need to regularly examine my conscience to see when I'm telling little lies and when I did not even realize it. I need to grow in grace and virtue, and I need to practice telling the truth. But if I really am against lying, I will not just oppose it in myself. I will oppose it throughout society because I know that lies often cause great harm in people's lives. I will want to vote a lying politician out of office. If there are lies written into our laws, I will want those laws repealed and replaced with laws based on truth. Additionally, I will demand that the harm that resulted from those lies be acknowledged and repaired as completely as is possible. It is the same way with anti-racism. Anti-racism is not simply a commitment to saying, I will not say or do racist things. It is a combination of continually fighting racism within myself practicing the actions of racial equity in my life, and fighting against the evil of racism in all its form within society, including seeking to bring about racial justice where racial injustice is present, end quote. Again, this is an excerpt from an article on the Jesuit Post by Father Chris Kellerman, and I'll be sure to um, link that in the show notes, and I encourage you to read the um, post in its entirety. So, having defined today's word of the day, let's jump into my interview with Alex Quesada. I'm here with Alex Quesada. That's how you say your last name, right? Quesada? That is correct. Okay. 
Um, and we are here on Reclaiming Social Justice podcast, and we're going to have a, a conversation about your work, your ministry, um, and in particular, this area of, of immigration, which is something we both have in common. So I look forward to our conversation. Um, but before we jump into things, um, I would love to invite you to open us up in prayer. For sure. Thank you, Danny, for having me. And then we put ourselves in the presence of God, and we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. May God forgive my pride. May God forgive my ingratitude. May God forgive my arrogance. May God forgive my laziness. May God forgive my apathy. May God forgive my laziness. May God forgive my indifference. May God forgive my insensitivity. May God forgive my coldness. But more than all, may God forgive my abandonment and my forgetfulness of himself converted into my neighbor. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that prayer. Um, just curious what you, you said that this is kind of a prayer that God put, put in your heart this morning. Anything that you want to share about that prayer that you like? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, I was told that we humans can fake devotion, can fake friendliness, kindness, and many behaviors. But the only thing that we cannot fake is hope and this morning i woke up full of hope and so have you always been catholic and and when did you realize that oh um being a practicing catholic means working for social justice thank you very much this question bring me to a um phrase from one of my friends who said if the catholic church does not bring you to justice it's not doing its work. You know, I do believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in God. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the baptism. And I do believe that Jesus Christ is love, is justice. And then um, I have one experience working in the corporate work world. Um, one regional supervisor came over to do his work in my store. And then it was lunchtime. And I invited him for lunch. You know, let's, let's forget about work. Let's enjoy a moment of um, joy. So when he asked, where are we going to eat? And I said, do you like Mexican food? <laughs> because I am Mexican. And then I'm not judging this person. On the contrary, I'm praying for him and people like him. He said, you know what? I don't eat dog's food. Ooh. And then I didn't know how to react because he was my supervisor. Mm -hmm. And then the only thing that I could do is say, you know what? You go ahead and enjoy your lunch. And I walk away. <laughs> But uh, that, that brings me to my faith. You know, there are things that makes no sense humanly. Mm -hmm. 
but only makes sense in the eyes of the faith. Because I could react instead of respond to it. And then I choose to, to respond and say, you know what, enjoy your lunch. Mm -hmm. It's almost like your version of, of uh, turning the other cheek, right? When somebody, when somebody hits, hits you, as, as our Lord teaches, right? That's for sure. You know, another thing that I have experienced um, working for the church, because I am a coordinator of Hispanic ministry, and I can um, experience, I saw it, I lived it, that we, this population is underserved. And uh, resources, for some reason, for this population are limited or unavailable. Mm. So that is another uh, push that I get from faith to work for justice. Awesome. Um, so besides Jesus, who would you say is your um, social justice hero that you draw inspiration from? Thank you. I believe that um, Saint Oscar Romero, he is inspirational person. And I love his answer when someone asks him, you know, you are not afraid to lose your legacy, your work in this struggle. And his answer makes and resounds to my soul, you know. He answered, I was not called to be successful. I was called by the Lord to be faithful. And I think that sometimes as coordinator here in my home parish, sometimes I get blinded by achieving goals and um, tasks. And I forget that I have to keep a prayerful life alive. And then therefore, St. Oscar Romero reminds me, the Lord has called me to be faithful. Mm. I hadn't told you that, but he's my favorite social justice hero as well. Oh favorite saint um, since um, my roots are based in El Salvador. That's where my family is from. So um, I love me some San Oscar Romero as well. Uh, when I started this ministry, actually, I read a lot of, of uh, Oscar Romero and I, I just love his teachings around, you know, that all of us are prophets. Right. And in the midst of of any parish, any church, right, where there is a baptized person, there is a priest, a prophet and a king. Right. And th those have very concrete implications um, and applications. And I think for, you know, everyday Catholics, we, we don't often think about the those identities that we hold as priests, prophets and kings and how that connects right to living a faith that does justice. Um, so in the in, in your your opening words your your introduction you talked about how you know your not just your immigrant identity but in particular you said your act your accent uh your name is something that's influenced your experience here in the united states and so i i wanted to ask you when when you are in a a space with new people how do you introduce yourself and why thank you for asking well, my name is Alvaro Alejandro. 
And then I have only those two options, you know? So when I came here and I tell people, my name is Alvaro, they're like, what? They could not pronounce it. And then I said, mm -hmm. okay, my name is Alejandro. And then likewise, what? So I said, <laughs> okay, call me Alex. So I had to modify my name, if you want, if you will, my identity to um, be a friendly approach with, with people from other culture. I accommodate myself to be able to engage. When, um, so take me back to when you first immigrated here and at what point did you make this modification? Oh, right away. When I started to work, my co-workers, of course, you want to um, hold relationships and, and communication is essential. So right away, saying my name, I can see the faces go numb. Not emotions, not, well, they, they seem confused. Your name is what? So I have to say Alex. Alex, Alex, and that worked for people. Mm. Yeah, you know, um, I'll tell you why this this topic interests me because it's something I've thought a lot about. You know, I mean, my first name is super American, you know, or it's not really American. It's biblical, if anything, Daniel, right? But most people associate um, Danny with the United States as, a, as an American name, especially if you are from uh, Latin America, right? Um, but my last name is Rauda, R-A-U-D-A. -A. Um, and that's how you say it, Dani Rauda, right? Um, actually, my full name is Dani Vladimir Rauda. Um, <laughs> there's a whole story behind my middle name because Vladimir is pretty much a Russian name. So I won't go into that, right? But for the longest time, I would, like you, um, accommodate others to be able to pronounce my last name. For So for probably the majority of my life, I went by Danny Rada, right? Mm -hmm. That's how most Americans want to pronounce my name. But um, at some point, something shifted in me. And, and it's, it's when I wanted to reclaim my full identity. And, and it started with my name, right? And so now I make much more of an effort to say it like how it's supposed to be said, but I, I encounter the similar situations like you where people can't pronounce it or they just say, oh, I can't roll my R like that, you know? And um, so I'm just wondering, like, like you said, like it, you accommodated, you, uh, you modified your name and, and then you said, if you will, my identity, like talk about um, the importance of, of names, right? And the importance of, you know, making the effort to pronounce somebody's name correctly. And, and I guess for people who, um, are hearing this and they don't have to, uh, uh, you know, modify their names, but, you know, they have experience with people telling them, you know, a simpler way to say, it. what would you say to them? You know, like, um, but I understand for you, like, you just go by Alex, you know, I, I don't know if, if that makes sense, what I'm trying to ask. Yes, Danny. Yes. Thank you so much. Your comment, your question makes me remem remembering about our youth, our youth, our children that are sons and daughters from immigrants. And they are in between two cultures, the Anglo culture and the Hispanic culture. And then sometimes because of the good intention to fit in, they have to renounce to one of them. 
mainly the Spanish speaking, the Spanish culture, the Spanish tradition, because they don't want to seem weird before friends in school, friends in society. So therefore, sometimes me, myself, I have to um, not forget, but put on side my roots in order to fit in the culture, to fit in the church, to fit in with friends, to fit in in the library. Because if I could be authentically myself, I could look like a rubble mm. for this culture. You know why? Why? Um, why do you? Why do you say rebel? What do you mean by that? Like, um, I want, I want to be careful on on what I said, and I'm processing my thoughts. Or, or would you say but, it sounds like you're being kind of maybe countercultural, like by by being your authentic self? Is that kind of what you're what you're trying to say? Yes, exactly. Because if I do come to a work meeting with my boots, with my sombrero, with my belt, with my, they're going to be like, you don't fit here. Yeah. You know, they won't say it, but their looks and probably their approach is going to tell me so much more than that. Mm. Yeah. I, I really resonated with what you said, how sometimes in order to fit in, you, you have to not, not forget your roots, but you consciously put aside you know, that part of who you are so that you can um, get along with people. And that, that really touches me because, and I think it's important to say that um, because mo most people don't realize um, that how much uh, immigrants have to give up, you know, just to be able to fit in and belong, you know. Um, and it also makes me think of like the, um, the melting pot, you know, how there's this myth, right, that we all come to this country and we we melt away, you know, our immigrant roots so that we can all become, quote unquote, American. And we know that that's harmful, right? Because when, when you melt that part of your identity, you lose a whole culture and our culture has positive values that can contribute to to this country, you know? And so um, that leads me to my next question. What would you say are the values, you know, that you bring um, as a, a Mexican immigrant in this country that um, that contribute that that, you know, benefit if, if, if I could if I could use that word, this culture? Thank you for the question. You know, I'm taking this from my roots and I'm taking this from the Catholic social teachings. Family, community, and participation. I think that we, the Latino um, community, have profound and strong roots in family, in community, and in participation. You know, sometimes we there to be authentic. We dare to show our true selves and results and contribution and flourishing and building community. So I think that it's my contribution to, to, my, to my environment.
Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that's, that's spot on, especially in this time. I don't know what um, the parish life is like uh, in this moment in time in, in your part of the woods. Um, but I know something that we're struggling with um, in our community is the lack of participation, right? That people have kind of, especially as we um, have headed out of the pandemic, have grown indifferent, you know, um, cold, um, they don't see the parish as the center of their lives. It's just kind of another extracurricular activity um, that you do uh, every week, once a week. Whereas for Hispanics, it is like the center of everything, right? Um, it's where we bring our kids, you know, rather than taking them um, to music class or some sports activity, like they want to prioritize whatever is happening in the parish life. Um, so like, I think if anything, this moment in time is where we need to lift up, right? These, these values of family and community and the importance of the parish um, that, you know, Hispanics live by to, to encourage the rest of our, our brothers and sisters, right? To return back to the church, make it part of your life, your, your family life, your community life. Definitely. We as people of faith have to trust God have to trust that Jesus has a better way for us. You know, this pandemic hit the minorities really hard, really, really hard. And I, I want to think that um, it's not visible to other cultures because we are very resilient. Hmm. We do not like to show our weakness. We do not like to show our struggles. We are growing, or myself, I grew in this culture with punches and kicks and mm -hmm. struggles. But you know what? Here we are because we trust in the Lord. And yes, the church is the center of our activities. And, and I think it's a reminder, right, that um, the family, especially if you're, um, you know, married and you have a family, that is your first um, priority, your first vocation and ministry. But too often, you know, we kind of get um, we're like little islands, like we only care about what's happening in our immediate circle. And we forget that the family and the parish is meant to look outward, you know, to serve the community, especially those who are experiencing poverty. Um, and so I also want to look at the other side of the of the coin, right? So because we've been speaking to what Hispanics can contribute to this culture um, and and but I also want to look at our own people. Right. And like um, I shared with you that I, I was born in this country to immigrant parents and I believe your daughter, you have a daughter, right? Yes, I do. You said yes. and she was was she born here? She was born in Mexico. She was born in Mexico. Did she, when did she, when did she come here? She was three years old when she came in. Three years mm -hmm. old. So she spent the majority of her life here, yes. right? Mm -hmm. And you spoke to this idea of like sometimes we live between cultures, mm -hmm. you know. And something that I've experienced is um, there's a tension in Hispanic households because, uh, especially if they came from you know, their pueblos where they want their children 
to speak and act and behave exactly how, you know, the, the kids in their pueblo were right back home, but they don't, right. They don't speak Spanish the same. They don't act the same. And so um, you almost feel like, like you don't fit in, in your own family. So like, for example, I have something I always heard growing up is tu no eres ni de aquí ni de allá, <laughs> you know, so I'm not from here or there. And so, like you said, I, I, I don't really fit in totally in the American with the Anglo culture. And then I also don't completely fit in, um, in my own family, you know? So like, if, what would you say to Hispanic households, you know, and families who have, you know, children who either grew up here at a very young age or who were born here and kind of, I guess, accept the, the importance of acceptance that maybe they're not going to be exactly how the kids in your Pueblo are, you know, or how you were growing up and that's okay. Yeah. You, you mentioned our children and, you know, sometimes we are not prepared to help them. We come here with a mentality of working, looking for a better um, style of life. And then we forget about everything else. We just want to work, 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 work. And we forget that there is much more to do with our, for our children. And then therefore, I would say, you know what? Be present in their lives. I know that sometimes we don't understand the language. We do not understand the assignments to help them in their homework. But you know what? Be present. That is doable. That's mm -hmm. what we can do for them. And then they're going to be better off. So I, I, I want to hear more about your uh, experience with, with your daughter um, in our pre-recording conversation you know, I had asked you, what is something that keeps you up at night? And your response is, is something that's kept me up at night, you know, um, because I've been kind of processing and thinking about it myself. And would you mind sharing um, what you said to that question? Yeah, for sure. For sure. My daughter, when she was in high school, her name is Leslie. And then my Leslie one day came to me and asked me that why we always have to be the ones that keep the peace, that do not um, fight back. Why are we the ones that have to forgive and forget? And in my humanity, makes no sense. I didn't know what to tell my daughter and the only answer that I could come up with was from my faith. And I mm -hmm. said, because of Jesus, because of our baptism, he's calling us to be peacemakers. He's calling us to make a difference in this world. This world is going to fight back, but we are not from this world. We are here to love, to pray for our enemies. And it only makes sense in our faith, in our human life. Seems like we are weak. Mm -hmm. And then I, I don't know if my daughter was satisfied with that answer, but I want I want to think that it's very difficult for the young people to understand the, the 
the call and the promises of our baptism, like you said before, to be priests. What for? To walk with the people of God. To be kings. To celebrate the goodness of God. And to be prophets. To point to the injustice. And make a difference. And then, of course, the young people do not have the maturity and faith to process it and comprehend it and implement it. But that's why we are here, to model, to model that faith and, mm -hmm. and to be peacemakers and to love and to contribute to the kingdom of God. Yeah, because I, I mean, I, from my perspective, your daughter is exercising one part of the ministry of a prophet, right? Which is, like you said, um, denouncing uh, the injustice in the world. But then the other part is where it's still kind of a, a learning edge for our young people, right? And it's announcing the good news, remembering that um, death is not the end that suffering is not the end um that there's more that our lord is promising us um and that we won't fully see until you know um later in life you know when we when we die um and when um our lord fulfills his promises um but just curious i mean was there what led her to ask you this question was there uh, an experience that she had and around that time or was there a conversation um that uh she had with friends or in class like just curious kind of like what what was the impetus behind that question for her i want to believe because i didn't ask for clarification but i heard one time she gave her testimony and then she mentioned that she grew up with african-american friends and then therefore, I guess she witnessed the injustices to the degree that this young lady has formed a anti-racist unit community group in our community. My daughter, and I'm so proud of that. And then um, this group, whenever they're together, I see mainly female young ladies. And I see the diversity of ethnicities. And then I want to think that my daughter has received a heart of compassion, of mercy towards friends on, the, on that condition. And then she is a light in this darkness. So, so it sounds like it wasn't just the immigrant experience, right? Or she wasn't just speaking about immigrants. She was speaking about other oppressed groups, such as our Black brothers and sisters who in this country, you know, um, along with immigrants, along with the indigenous community, you know, have experienced the most oppression, right? So it's like, yeah, like she, it was coming from a, a heart of compassion, of mercy, but I also think of solidarity, right? And um, too often the media um, or the culture wants to divide the black and brown community or like even internally, I, I feel like the Hispanic culture sometimes is hesitant. I feel I don't know if you have had that same experience to respond to racism in the black community because it's going to distract 
from the immigrant issue, right? Or the, the, the challenges that they're specifically facing. But to me, they're one and the same, right? If you, if, if our, if anybody is experiencing discrimination, then we're all experiencing it, you know? And so if my, if somebody in the black community experiences that, then it, it should affect me. And from a, from a Christian perspective, right? If any part of the body suffers, we should all suffer, right? And so I love that about your daughter. And, and I'm glad that you shared that because it helps kind of, you know, clarify uh, who your daughter is, right? And also this point of solidarity. Definitely. I feel so proud of my daughter. And of course, I don't want to preach here, but I want to say that we are only one human family. And then mm -hmm. we forget about that, that we have mm -hmm. one God, that we have one heaven, that we have one Lord, and that we supposed to celebrate the other person because that's unique. There is no other like Danny. Therefore, God bless you, Danny. <laughs> yeah, you're so right. Um, and so when we think about the immigrant issue in general, um, what is what is it about the immigrant situation that we're currently experiencing that that you think we need to be paying more attention to? And, and as Catholics, we need to um, be aware of so that we can respond accordingly. I, I mean, I don't know, you know, what the, the situation is. Actually, you're you're in Chicago, right? Yes. Um, and so I don't know if you could speak to what the situation is right now with all the the, the buses of immigrants, right, that are going to um, large cities like D.C., New York, Chicago. What are you seeing right now with, you know, in, in this moment in time with, with, the, with the immigrants that are at our borders and coming to these big cities? Cardinal Supic made a statement, you know, and I'm so proud to see that he is the voice of Jesus Christ that we supposed to protect the immigrants. We supposed to empower them. We supposed to help them simply because our Lord Jesus was an immigrant. The Holy Family had to immigrate. They, they, that was not an option for them. Now, our Catholic faith is telling us in the Gospels that we supposed to be protectors of those individuals that are vulnerable. vulnerable. Why are we positioning ourselves against the Gospel? My recommendation for my friends that are having trouble to accept and welcome and support these vulnerable people is to just look at them as another human being, as myself, as yourself. You don't have to fix their problems. Used to just see them as another child of God. As your daughter, as your son, what would you do for them? Simple, keep it simple. You know, so I know that this culture is kind of a individualistic and, and there might be some benefit uh, on it, but we were not created to be individualistic. We were created to be community. I know that this phrase is, has been said many times, but 
together we are strong. We all and each one of us has a unique contribution to our environment, to uh, the creation of God. And if we do not position ourselves in the good news, in the gospel, we are going to be fighting against God because everyone is a child of God. And then we are here to contribute to the kingdom of God, make it a reality. So we should open our hearts. We should open our arms to these people, to these children, and do what it's possible for each of us. I love what you said there about you don't have to fix their problems. And so I just wanted to highlight that and reiterate that you don't have to fix anything. And I think for people who aren't immigrants, um, they become almost paralyzed or frozen because they don't know how to fix the hardships that somebody's experiencing. And I think your your message there is, is super important, right? Um, and it's it's something we can all um, practice, even if we're not in Chicago, right? Even if we're not in these towns and cities where um, uh, these new immigrants are, are are coming from, we can remember that it, it, it's actually a, a a principle we can apply for every situation, right? You don't have to fix people. You just have to be there for them. You just have to see them in their humanity and um, in their Im in the image and likeness of God and have that compassion and mercy. And that's that's all uh, a practical action we can all have. That is correct. You, you see them as another person, as another child of God, as another member of our human family. Uh, I, I guess just to I guess follow up with like, because this is something I'm seeing a lot in the news, right? Um, and I'm just curious if there's any, if you have any concrete examples of how people in Chicago or, um, you know, the neighboring cities of, of D.C. And, and New York, how, how people are responding to the, the buses of immigrants that are um, entering these cities. Just to kind of open our eyes, you know, of, of the, the signs of our time. Thank you. Thank you. I believe that Chicagoland has capacity to help these immigrants because we are a very diversified community. We have so many resources. We have so many agencies and organizations prepared to help. Um, here in our town, we have multiple social services like food pantries, free clinics, uh, free clothing closets that we make available for our community. You know, we have a level of preparation to fulfill our, our faith duties, you know? And then therefore I wanna bring again the word of God into this situation. In the Bible, in the book of Micah 6, 8, it says, you've been told mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you only to do justice and love mercy mm. and to walk humbly with your God. Some people want to make it complicated. It's very simple. Do justice 
love mercy and walk humble with your God. Thank you for, for sharing that, that passage from Micah. And I think that's um, a good, a good place to, to wrap up. But before we do that, is there anything else that you, that you want to share with, with listeners? Um, anything maybe that I hadn't asked that you think is important to, um, to say, you know, before we, we wrap up? Yeah, for sure. I have to take this opportunity, Danny. Thank you so much. I would say, brothers and sisters of the Catholic faith, please check, read, learn, make it yours, the Catholic social teachings, the solidarity, the care of creation, the family, community, and participation, the life and dignity of the human person, the rights and responsibilities, the option for the poor and vulnerable, and the dignity of work and the right of workers. If we do that, I think we are going to contribute to the kingdom of God. Thank you so much, um, Alex. And why don't we why don't we wrap up with a prayer? Yeah, this time is your turn. This time is my turn. Yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, I just want to thank you for, for Alvaro and his ministry, his service to your church, um, and especially his service to our Hispanic brothers and sisters, our immigrant brothers and sisters. Thank you for all the talents that you've given him to be able to, um, to teach us, right, to teach me. And um, I want to thank you for the name that you've given Alvaro, for the dignity that his name represents. Um, and, and I want to pray for all of us to have that compassion, that sensitivity um, with regards to people's cultures and their names. Remember, remind us, Lord, how important that, that our names are. Thank you for the, the life that you've given us. Thank you for the dignity that you've given us. And may we all remember that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ and that we are all one body. And may we truly live this principle out in our everyday lives. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. And may all of us um, continue to grow in our understanding of, of faith and justice. And, and as Alvaro said, um, live the live the words of Micah and, and do justice, do mercy and walk faithfully with you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. reflect back on my conversation with Alex, I continue to be moved what he said about the different ways he has to put aside core aspects of his cultural identity just to fit in. And when I say moved, what I really mean is how bothered and upset this makes me. How I wish that everyone can show up anywhere as their most authentic selves. I was trained in linguistics for my master's degree, so I'm particularly interested in his testimony regarding his name. As I thought about what in Catholic social teaching can shed light on this topic, I thought about the teaching on human rights and responsibilities. From birth, each individual has the right to have an identity. 
Specifically, everyone has the right to be given a name that is spelled and pronounced in a specific way. A name serves practical functions. It is a matter of recognition of someone's individuality and what differentiates them from their peers. A name is also much more than that from the lens of our faith. The Catechism in paragraphs 2158 and 2159 states that God calls each one by name. Everyone's name is sacred. The name is the icon of the person. It demands respect as a sign of the dignity of the one who bears it. The name one receives is a name for eternity. Wow, how beautiful. As we can see here, we must respect someone's name. Even if it's unfamiliar to our ears and mouth, we have a duty to make the effort to correctly pronounce someone's name. Now, I've been referring to our guest as Alex and not Alvaro, because that's what he told me to call him. And he has that right also. However, I believe that he wouldn't have asked me to call him Alex if it weren't for all the time someone failed to pronounce his name correctly and failed to make an effort. This is something systemic in our American culture. We don't take the time and effort to pronounce foreign names, so people have to change their names. They have to put aside who they are for our convenience, and that's not right. Now, I'm not naive. I know that this is hard in practice. I would know given my time spent teaching English to speakers of other languages. It takes time, patience, and training. Above all, it takes humility. But that's what we must do to honor the sacredness in every person. Alright, that's a wrap for this episode of Reclaiming Social Justice. If you like the content, don't forget to share it and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for me, you can reach me at reclaimingsj at gmail.com. You can let me know what you thought about this episode specifically or what you think about the podcast in general by filling out the short feedback form at the bottom of this show notes. Again, my name is Danny. Thank you for tuning in, and I will see you next time for another episode of Reclaiming Social Justice.